one of the things that we had to think through uh, with all of these kids' birthdays being so close together is how do we make them special and unique for each of the kids without them feeling like they're, they're all just being lumped in together? Because we've had joint parties, because that's been easy at young ages. But on the specific day of their birth, we want to celebrate them in a big way. And so one of the things that we've done is on the night before, they, uh, the night before their birthday, we, after they go to bed, we'll hang up streamers on the door and we'll blow up balloons and we'll put them on the floor outside of their, their bedroom. So that way, when they get up the next morning, they've got streamers to wake up to, they've got balloons, which Jack thought was the greatest thing in the world. He's still playing with them. Uh, and we make a special breakfast for them. We, we have a special dinner for them and, and all of those things, right? We do all of these things because we want those kids to know that they are special, that this is a unique day. And so we make it special for them. And, and many of you are probably the same way. You know, some families are really big birthday people and they go all out for birthdays. And some people just kind of, hey, it's your birthday. You know, we're happy to, happy to know you. But we're big birthday people, right? And we want our kids to know that they are loved and cared for on their birthday. Now, it's kind of an abrupt transition, but when you go to the Old Testament, and specifically, we're, we're probably all familiar with the story of the Exodus, where God leads the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And after he does that, God gives them 10 laws, or as the Bible refers to them as 10 words, okay? And we know these as the 10 commandments, which you find in Exodus 20. But one of those 10 commandments is very unique, because it's a command to remember a certain day, to keep it different from the rest of the days. And I want us this morning to look at the fourth commandment. So turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. And we're gonna look at this, this fourth commandment where God says to take one day and make it special and unique and different from all the rest of the days, kind of like what we would do for something like a birthday. But before we get in and read these, we're gonna read all 10, but before we do, just a couple observations about the 10 commandments in general. There are two places in the Bible where you can find the complete list of the 10 commandments. Obviously, they are referenced in many other places, but right here in Exodus chapter 20 is where they were originally given at Mount Sinai. And also in Deuteronomy chapter five, Moses repeats the 10 commandments to the people of Israel. He reminds them the commandments that God gave at Mount Sinai. And so those are the two places where you'll find the complete list. Uh, the 10 commandments are widely known by people in church, but also by people out of church. If you were to ask almost anybody that you run into, hey, have you ever heard of the 10 commandments? Their answer is more than likely gonna be, yeah, I've heard of that. Right? And that's the same if you ask people in this room or if you ask people at wherever, whatever restaurant you go to lunch to today. Most people have heard of the Ten Commandments. And so because of that, they're widely known, widely familiar. But I would also say they're widely unknown. Because if you ask that same person, perhaps it's us in this room, uh, what are the Ten Commandments? There's probably gonna be an awkward pause. Uh... Right, So I did an experiment with our youth. I love to experiment on them. And so this last Wednesday night, I asked them, I said, how many of you have heard of the 10 commandments? All the hands go up. I said, all right, how many of you can name me the 10 commandments in order? Nothing. 
right? So we did it collectively as a group. We all kind of worked together and we got all 10. But I feel, I fear that many of us are that same way. We have a lot of familiarity with them. They're in the Bible. We've heard of them. Maybe we've even read them. No doubt there is a sign or multiple signs somewhere in this church that has them on it. But how often do we read through them? How often do we familiarize ourselves with what they say? I think there's a big misunderstanding about the Ten Commandments or what their purpose is. Why did God give them, right? Is is the reason for them that if we follow these exactly the way God intended, that we'll be perfect and we are okay to, to receive salvation? Or are these laws given to us that reveal to us that we can't perfectly keep them and that we have a need for someone to keep them for us. I think there's, there's misunderstanding about that. But also the last observation about the 10 commandments in general is that there's a natural break in them. So in the New Testament, Jesus is asked by the Pharisees, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus's response is, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and all of your strength. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, as we're gonna read the 10 commandments, those are not in here. But what those are, are a summary of the 10 commandments. The first, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, is a summary of commandment one, two, three, and four. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not have any idols or anything carved, right? You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain, and you are to honor the Sabbath, keep it holy, right? That's a summary of the first four, but then the last six is dealing with our relationship with one another, Right? Love your neighbor as yourself. You're to honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. You shall not covet. And so the last six deal with our relationship with one another, while the first four deal with our relationship with God. So all of that being said, let's look. Exodus chapter 20, we'll begin in verse one. And God spoke all these words, saying... I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I am the Lord, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And here's where we'll focus this morning. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or, your, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. These are the 10 commandments. And we wanna focus this morning just on number four. 
Now, if you noticed, as we're reading through this, there are two commandments that seem to be particularly long. Number two, you shall have no idols. And number four, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Those two are are very lengthy. They have a lot of description along with them. But just a couple observations here about the, the Sabbath. Okay, the first is that it's a stopping from work. Okay, verse eight says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. The word Sabbath in its literal translation literally means to stop or to cease. That is what the word Sabbath means. And so when God says this is a Sabbath day, it means it's a day of ceasing or of stopping. So he even makes it clear, six days you shall do your labor, but the seventh day is a day of stopping. Okay, so the Sabbath day is first and foremost about stopping from our labor, stopping from the work that they are doing all the other days of the week, okay? Now also, what is the stopping for? Look at verse 10 again. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Okay, it is a stopping in an effort to focus then on God. Okay, we are stopping for God's sake. Not stopping just for our own sake, right? We'll talk about rest here in just a minute, but we are stopping for the sake of God. God is is commanding that the Israelites obey this command by stopping from their work in order to focus on him, okay? But look also who it applies to, okay? Verse 10, again. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, right? So this encompasses everybody, Okay, this is not just for heads of the household. This is not just for grown adults and you can make your children go out and do the work for you so that you can still turn a profit. This is for everybody. He even includes the livestock, right? So you're not even supposed to you know, dangle a carrot in front of your, your donkey or whatever when it's got a plow hooked up to it so that he can you know, keep working and plow the field on the Sabbath day. This is a break. It's a stopping from work for everyone, even the animals, Okay, so second observation. It is to be kept holy. Okay, so the first observation that the Sabbath day is a stopping day, but number two, it is to be kept holy. Look again at verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. All right, look at verse 11 at the end. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, the first thing that probably comes to our mind when we see the word holy is we attribute that to God, okay? God is holy. The Bible says that he is holy, 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 right? Now, what we need to understand about the word holy is that by itself, it simply means different or distinct. It is not like something else. It is different, okay? So when we say God is holy, what we're meaning is God is different. He's not like us. We shouldn't think of God the same way we think of one another, Okay, God is distinctly different. And when the Bible says God is holy, 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 
all that repetition should tell us he's very, very different. He's not at all like us. He's very different. But one of the things we often do when we hear the word holy or think about the word holy is we start to add God's attributes to holy itself, right? Perfection, sinlessness, all of those things, right? Let's not do that here because this is just using the word holy to mean it's set apart, okay? Uh, this, is, this day is meant to be very different, distinctly different from any other day during the week. Okay, do not make it look like the rest of the days is what God is saying. Okay, that's, that's number two, keep it holy. Number three, it is to be a regular reminder of the covenant that God made with Israel. Now look back at verse one and two of chapter 20. And God spoke these, all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Before God even gives them a single rule or a single law, he's reminding them what he has done for them. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So one of the things that God clearly is wanting by the stopping and by the keeping holy is to, for this to be a constant reminder of what God has done, a reminder of the covenant that God is making along with the Israelites. Um, the other place that we see the Sabbath, or I'm sorry, the Ten Commandments, is in Deuteronomy chapter five. Now I want you to listen what it says in Deuteronomy chapter five. You don't have to turn there, but I'm gonna read this for you. This is verses 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And verse 15 says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So more than just stopping from our work, more than just keeping this distinctly different, we're starting to see why God wants them to stop from their work and why God wants this day to be distinctly different. Because it's the Sabbath day that every time they observe the Sabbath day, they are reminded of what God has done for them, the salvation that he's provided in delivering them out of, out of Egypt. But also, God is wanting to, them to be reminded of the covenant that he is making with them. So as the people are observing the Sabbath, they're not doing the regular work, they're, they're making this day set apart. They are reminded that they are partaking in the covenant that God has made with them. They are keeping the covenant. The fourth is that this occurs every seven days following the pattern of creation. Look again at verse 10. Okay, so the Sabbath day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, right? And then fast forward down to verse 11. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, if we go back to the, the account in Genesis, where we see the account of creation, 
we see that day one through six, God is creating, he's making things. And then on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work that he did in creation. Now, we know that God was not tired after working for seven days. We know that it's not because he was just so physically exhausted he couldn't make it another day. But God took a day and rested from his work. And what we are seeing in the covenant that God is making with Israel is that he is commanding them to do the same. There are six days in which you can work and labor and do all the work that you need to do. But the seventh day is a day of rest. Just as God himself did in creation, he is now commanding the Israelites to do throughout their life. Every seven days you stop, you keep the day different, you remember God's salvation, you partake in the covenant, and you're reminded that this is what God did in the creation of the world. Last observation, number five. It's not negative. If you notice the 10 commandments, all but two are listed as a negative thing. You shall not, you shall not, do not. But there are two right in the middle here, number four and number five, that are listed in the affirmative or in the positive way. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's a a positive thing that we're supposed to do, not so much a negative thing that we're not supposed to do. And then number five, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land. Those are the two that are listed in a positive way. Now, I think all of us would agree that when we're told what to do, it tends to come across as a negative thing. This is true with our children. You tell them to do something, their natural response oftentimes is, well, I don't wanna do that just because you told me to do that. If you hadn't told me to do it, maybe I'd have gone to do it. But because you told me, I'm gonna buck authority, right? I'm gonna go against the grain, right? All of us have those thoughts. Perhaps maybe we've been there and perhaps maybe we do that regularly. But I don't want us to think of the 10 commandments as a negative thing in that, oh, there's all these things that God doesn't want us to do. I want you to turn in your Bibles real quick to Isaiah chapter 58. And what we're gonna see here is an amazing example of what God has intended for the Sabbath day. Isaiah chapter 58, the, the last two verses of the chapter, here's what they say. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. See, this is what God intends the Sabbath to be, right? If you stop from doing all the things that you wanna do, and if you stop from going about all of your business and you focus on my business, as God says, then you shall take delight in the Lord. You see, the intention of the Sabbath day is not just, "Ah, I can't work. I can't be productive and get all the things done that I wanna do. I've got this big to-do list and I've gotta take an entire day off and I can't get any of it done. See, that's not how God intended the Sabbath day. God intends the Sabbath that as you focus on him every seven days, you delight in the Lord. You're reminded of his salvation that he has worked for you. 
how he's freed them from slavery in Egypt, how he's provided for them in the wilderness with manna and water from the rock. God says, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. Now that to me sounds like a good thing. I hope that we have a desire to delight in the Lord. And I hope that when we read a passage like that, we think, yes, I want to do whatever is required of me so that I can delight in the Lord. If God has put things in place that if I follow them, it will result in me delighting in the Lord, let me do it. Because that is what God's initial purpose for the Sabbath is, delighting in the Lord. Now, we're about to go to the New Testament and look at how Jesus understands the Sabbath. Now, one of the things you need to know before we get there is that the Sabbath had become a very important day in Jewish culture. Uh, And it had actually become something that it was never intended to be, right? We just read from Isaiah. And the whole idea of the Sabbath is that by keeping it, we start delighting in the Lord. That's a good thing. But when we get to the New Testament, what we're gonna see is the Pharisees are all about, hey, hold on, he broke the rules. Hey, he broke, he's not doing what was supposed to be done on the Sabbath. So how did it get that way? Well, During the Old Testament time and even in the intertestamental period, right? You've got 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament where God is silent and there's no no prophets, there's no revelation from God. You've got these things called the 39 malachal. And what this are is 39 categories of work that the Jews had added to the Sabbath saying that if you do any of these 39 things, these are 39 categories, If you do any one of those, you are breaking the Sabbath, okay? So a couple of these would include plowing, okay? So if you were to try and plow your field on the Sabbath, that's a breaking of the Sabbath. Um, Sowing, if you go out and try to sow some seeds, that's a breaking of the Sabbath. Reaping, going out into the field and gathering in what's ripe for the picking. Gathering and binding, so as you've picked all of the, the good stuff, if you gather it together and you bind it together so you can carry it in, that's work, can't be done on the Sabbath. Threshing, which is uh, beating something that has seeds in it in order to get the seeds out, that's work, you can't do that on the Sabbath. Winnowing, okay, you've got wheat, which has chaff around it, and so you've gotta get it out, you've gotta get the, separate the wheat from the chaff. If you do that on the Sabbath, that is breaking the Sabbath, that's doing work that is not allowed on the Sabbath. Now, I think at the heart of it, they wanted to keep the Sabbath and please God. I think that was at the heart. Now, obviously, I don't know. There's no way we can know. But they added all of these additional restrictions for the sake of, as long as I follow these restrictions, I will keep the Sabbath. Because that was important to them. So, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. As Matt read this as our New Testament reading. And if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you'll find is that there are a lot of instances where it will say, and then there's Jesus, and it was the Sabbath day. Right? You'll read things like that a lot. And what you should notice is that that is significant. When you read that Jesus is doing something and it was the Sabbath day, that is significant. Because what it's saying is there's about to be a collision, 
right? And that's what we're gonna see here in Matthew chapter 12. So again, remember that you've got the Pharisees and you've got Jesus. And the Pharisees are thinking, we've got the Sabbath all figured out. We've added all these rules so that as long as we follow them, we'll never break the Sabbath and we'll be right with God. That's what they're thinking. Look with me at verse one. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. There's our key. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But the Pharisees saw it and they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor to eat, uh, nor, nor, not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So what we see here in this passage is a butting of heads. Jesus on one side, the Pharisees on the other side. Jesus is with his disciples. The the story tells us that the, the disciples were hungry, so they start picking heads of grain and eating it. And the Pharisees are right there. Now, we have no idea why they're there in the grain field. Perhaps they're watching Jesus to see if he does anything wrong. But they see it, and they're like, ah, we got him. Jesus, your disciples, they are gathering. They are doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath. They are winnowing. They're separating the chaff from the grain so they can eat it. That is not lawful on the Sabbath. You see, they've got this all figured out, or so they think. And so they call out the disciples and they say, Jesus, how are your disciples doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But notice how Jesus responds. Now remember, these are Pharisees. These are religious people. These are people who would be very familiar with the Old Testament. So Jesus says in verse three, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? This simple phrase, have you not read, implies that Jesus is saying, are you not even familiar with what happened in the Old Testament? This, this book that you would be so familiar with that you've probably have most of it memorized? how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat. And he gave it to those who were with him. Or verse five, have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath, but yet are guiltless. Now we don't need to go into too much detail about these stories, but let me explain to you what's happening here. If you want, you can read more about these, uh, the story about David eating the bread in 1 Samuel 21. We're not gonna turn there. But the bread of the presence, and you can read about this in the Old Testament, was specifically to be for, uh, for priests to eat. What they would do is they would make a loaf of bread and they would put it by the Holy of Holies and it would be as an offering to God. And at the end of the week, they would remove it and put a new loaf and then the priests would eat the old loaf. But it was only for the priests to eat. This was not common bread that not just anybody could eat. But so David, he's traveling with his group of guys and he comes to the temple and guess what? They don't have any other bread, but he and the guys are hungry. So what does the priest do? He gives them the bread of the presence. Now it should have been, oh, this is a big no-no. 
But the Bible never condemns what the priest did. The Bible never condemns David and his men for having eaten, eaten the bread. And then Jesus says at the end of verse six, sorry, verse seven, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You see, what Jesus is pointing to is that the fact that the priest showed mercy to David when he was hungry rather than observe the, uh, the precepts of the law, essentially is what he's doing. What is he doing? He's showing mercy rather than upholding the rules. And again, you see here in verse five, have you not read in the law on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and yet are guiltless? Well, how are they profaning the Sabbath? Well, in Numbers 28, it gave commands for this, the priest to offer sacrifices on the Sabbath. Now, if you understand the Sabbath is supposed to be no work, so offering sacrifices would technically be breaking the Sabbath. Leon Morris, a commentator, says this about this passage. He said, the priests perform work on the Sabbath, every Sabbath. That should give cause for those who reverenced scripture to think hard about what God meant the Sabbath to be and what people should do to keep it holy. They had too easily accepted views that made the Sabbath a burden and had overlooked the fact that scripture did not fit into their pattern. See, what Jesus is pointing out to the Pharisees is your own idea of what the Sabbath is does not even fit and, and coincide with what the Bible teaches You've missed the point. Maybe you have the whole Old Testament memorized, but you've missed the point entirely. Now, in Mark's account of this same story, he adds that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And the whole idea is that the Sabbath is meant to be a blessing for man, not to be a burden to man. And if we understand what the Pharisees are thinking, they have absolutely made the Sabbath a burden that is almost impossible to bear. Now remember what Isaiah said. What was the Sabbath supposed to be? By keeping the Sabbath, you are delighting in the Lord. That was the initial intent of the Sabbath. That is why God said to stop your work. That is why God said to keep it holy. That is why God said to use it to remember his salvation. But yet it had become such a legalistic rule-following burden that no one could bear it. And Jesus challenges them. Jesus says that this is supposed to be a day about mercy, not observance, strict observance to the laws, right? That's what he means when he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That's a quote from Hosea. Leon Morris also about this said, it is the practice of compassion that should distinguish the people of God rather than the punctilious observance of outward religious regulations, no matter how sacred. You see, Jesus was breaking down the Pharisees' understanding of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was meant to be a blessing to man, not a burden. But the Pharisees had turned it into a burden, not a blessing. Another commentator on this said, so Jesus didn't come to abolish the Sabbath, but to dig it out from under the mountain of legalistic sediment and to give it to us again as a blessing rather than a burden. It is a day for showing mercy and a day for doing good. It is not to be governed rigidly by narrow definitions of what is work and what is not. It is a day to focus on the Lord. And now Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. 
So it is a day to focus on Jesus. And it is impossible that a day focused on Jesus should be a burden to the believing heart. Jesus said at the end of this story that he desires mercy and not sacrifice. And what does he do in the very next story, starting in verse nine? He heals a man on the Sabbath day with a withered hand. Again, something that would not have been lawful to do on the Sabbath. And what is the point Jesus is driving home? It is better to show mercy on the Sabbath, to do good, than just to follow these strict laws that you've put in in place to make yourself think you're keeping the Sabbath. Now, let me be clear, and I think that, that quote was, Jesus was not at all saying that we should just disregard all the rules, all the laws that God said about stopping your work and all of that. But he is saying that the Pharisees had missed the heart of the Sabbath, right? The heart being, by observing the Sabbath, I delight in the Lord. So, you may be wondering, well, we live in 2021, and I haven't heard anybody use the word Sabbath in a long time. So, how does this apply for for First Baptist Fairdale in 2021? Well, I think there are two things. Number one, the New Testament never commands us to observe the Sabbath the way we see it in the Old Testament. Okay, we are now under grace and not under the law. Okay, we don't have to keep all 613 laws of the Old Testament the way the Israelites had to, right? Jesus came and he freed us from the law. Now, that's not to say that those laws are meaningless now, right? We still have the Ten Commandments in our church. I I believe I've seen it in the ladies' Sunday school classroom, right? And all 10 of those commandments are still true. We should have no other gods. We should not worship idols. We should not take the Lord's name in vain. We should keep the Sabbath, which we'll talk about again here in a minute. We should honor our father and mother. We shouldn't murder. We shouldn't commit adultery. We shouldn't steal. We shouldn't lie. We shouldn't covet. But so what do we do with it then? I think an important note to make is that God grounded the reasoning for the Sabbath in creation. All right, God said that on, for six days he worked and on the seventh day he rested. And so because of that, He gave that to the people of Israel. Six days you shall do your work, and the seventh is to be a Sabbath, a stopping. Keep it holy to the Lord. Remember what the Lord has done for you. Now, in the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament, their Sabbath day was Saturday. It would be from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, and that was their Sabbath day. But what we see in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts, is that we see Christians beginning to meet on the first day of the week. Because the first day of the week, Sunday, is the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And so the idea is we are reminding ourselves every Sunday that we get together that this is the day of the week that Jesus rose from the grave. Again, it's a weekly reminder of what Jesus has done for us, the salvation that he's worked for us. And so by coming and worshiping on Sunday, on the first day of the week, we're reminding ourselves of the salvation that Jesus has worked for us. I think that we as Christians in the New Testament, as we meet weekly on a Sunday rather than a Saturday, we are observing the Sabbath in that we're stopping from our normal work and we are coming and we're reminding ourselves of God and what he has done for us. Now, we should not make this a legalistic day on how one celebrates 
the Lord's day, right? That is exactly what the Pharisees had done and, and all the Israelites, not just the Pharisees, but they had made this a day of legalistic rule following in an effort to keep the Sabbath. I hope that you do not want church to be about rules and, and how we keep them and all of that, right? You may have noticed that I'm up here with my shirt not tucked in, right? We don't have a certain dress code that if, that if you don't follow it, you're not keeping the Sabbath command as God intended, right? We don't have those, those rules and we shouldn't make it that way. But also we should not make the Sabbath day or Sunday about what we do. Rather, we should make it about what God has done. And this is the heart of the Sabbath for us. You see, we don't rely on our own works for salvation. I hope you know that. I hope you've heard that over and over and over again. You see, in the Old Testament, you've got this sacrificial system. And the way that Jews had to be right with God is when they would do something wrong, they would have to come to the temple, offer a sacrifice, and because of that sacrifice, uh, they would be in a right relationship with God again, right? But they had to do this over and over and over again because one sacrifice was not enough. They had to continually offer sacrifices over and over again. But we don't do that. Why? Because my second point on how we understand the Sabbath in 2021 is because Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Jesus is the fulfillment of the rest that we need that God offers on the Sabbath. Now, because the Jews had to continually offer sacrifices over and over again, they lived in a constant state of wondering, did I do something wrong? Do I need to offer a sacrifice for that? I don't know if that technically requires me having to offer a sacrifice. Well, I better play it safe because I don't, I don't, I don't wanna not be covered. Now think about living that way. That sounds miserable. Unfortunately, I think a lot of us still do it. We still think, oh man, <laughs> I don't know if I was supposed to do that, but maybe, I mean, maybe God will let that one slide. Maybe, maybe it'll be good. Maybe I'm still good. You see, we don't like to think that we are working for our own salvation, but oftentimes we live as if we are. We live as if, man, I really messed up. God doesn't want to see me. Nobody at church wants to see me. I shouldn't even show my face. I can't even be there. Because we're thinking more so about what I have done than what Jesus has done. There's no rest in that. That is a constant turmoil within us that does not put us at peace. But rather, look with me at Hebrews chapter 10 as we close. Hebrews chapter 10, verses one through four says this. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You see, this is why in the Old Testament they had to offer sacrifices over and over and over again because the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. 
And so they had to continually offer these sacrifices every time they did something wrong. And they always lived in that tension of, did I offer enough sacrifice? Does, does what I did here require another sacrifice? Do I need to sacrifice again? I don't know. Look down with me at verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, when we realize that by being in Christ, all of our sins are forgiven, all of our wrongs are made right, there's rest in that. I don't have to worry about what I did this last week. I can rest in knowing that it is under that blood that the sacrifice of Jesus covers it. I don't have to worry about if I have to make another sacrifice or if I have to worry about what I did was covered under the last sacrifice. Jesus says, or Hebrews says, for by a single offering, that's himself, he offered himself. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Are you being sanctified this morning? Are your sins under that blood? Or are you trying to cover your own sins your own way? Because if that's the case, it's just gonna be like the Old Testament system where you're just gonna have to sacrifice over and over and over again and never know if what you've done is enough. But Jesus provides rest, true spiritual rest, because we know that his one sacrifice is for all time. His one sacrifice covers all of our sins. There is no need to fret. There is no need to worry. We can sing with all of our heart and with all of our soul, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. See, we think about the Sabbath and one of the things at the heart of the Sabbath is rest. We need physical rest. Physical rest is important. But far more important is spiritual rest. And that's what Jesus offers. Right before our passage in, in Matthew 12, you know what he says? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My burden is easy. My load is light. Jesus is inviting everybody. Those who are weary, trying to, to, to think whether or not I've done enough, trying to think of if, if, if I meet God's standard, do I meet the requirements? Come to Jesus. His sacrifice is sufficient and he will give you rest. 